Hello, and welcome to the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living. I'm your host, Dan Casas-Murray. This podcast is for the Tao curious, those looking for a random bit of wisdom once in a while, or for those who want to dive into this wonderful teaching. I've been studying the Tao Te Ching for just short of a year now, and have reconnected with a natural feeling of inner peace and contentment. I don't hold a doctorate, nor am I qualified to teach anything about the Tao Te Ching. I'm just an ordinary person who has experienced the wonderful side effects of following the Tao. Since everyone's experience with this wisdom is different, the only thing that I can hope for is that mine helps you to connect with a Tao in your own unique, personal way. Feel free to listen to each episode a day at a time, or anytime you need a quick Tao shot. You can listen while you're on your way to work, or after that, when you're winding down. It's always a good time to observe the Tao. In each episode, we'll do four things. One, we'll read a verse of the Tao Te Ching. Two, I'll break it down into everyday language. Three, I'll share my own thoughts and experience. And four, I'll leave you with a couple of the many ways you can put the Tao into practice for yourself. That's pretty much how I've been practicing the Tao every day. By listening to Lao Tzu, reflecting on his words of wisdom, listening to other comments, and trying to practice them in everyday life. Thanks for joining me today and enjoy this episode of the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living. Verse 39, Making Peace with Ego Since antiquity, the following may be said to have attained truth. Heaven, which by truth is clear. Earth, which by truth is secure. The gods, which by truth are divine. The valleys, which by truth are full. All animate creation, which by truth is alive. The rulers by which truth are capable of rectifying the empire. Conversely, the following inferences may be stated. Without that which renders it clear, heaven stands the danger of disruption. Without that which renders it secure, earth stands the danger of depression. Without that which renders them divine, the gods stand the danger of impotence. Without that which renders them full, the valleys stand the danger of desiccation. Without that which renders them life, all animate creation stand the danger of annihilation. Without that which renders them capable of rectification, the rulers stand the danger of being overthrown. Humility forms the basis of honor, just as the low ground forms the foundation of a high elevation. Wherefore, the sovereigns are content to call themselves the virtueless and the unworthy. Does this not show that they regard humility as a matter of utmost importance? Hence the most praiseworthy are indifferent about praise. It matters not to them whether they are admired as beautiful jades or despised as our rugged stones. 
That's verse 39 of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Cheng Lin. Next, let's break it down. This verse has three parts to it, and we'll take each part one idea at a time. Part one talks about things that are whole, part two talks about things that are not whole, and part three talks about the thing that makes us whole. So let's look at this real quick. The first part is talking about, since antiquity the following may be said to have attained truth, heaven which by truth is clear, earth secure, God's divine, the valleys are full, animate creation is alive, and the rulers which by truth are capable of rectifying the empire. So I think what we're meant to kind of understand is that, um, and this is truth with a capital T, by the way, that's translated in the texts. So without that um, unifying truth, like we're just not whole. So that's part one. And then part two goes on to say, well, without being whole, heaven stands the danger of disruption. Earth stands the danger of depression. The gods stand the danger of impotence. Valleys stand the danger of desiccation. And all animate creations stand the danger of annihilation or death. And, you know, uh, emperors don't, aren't, able to do anything okay so we're talking about like when things are not whole when they're not one you know they stop being themselves basically so that's that's part two now part three um is kind of cool because what it does is it gives some more meaning to Truth with a capital T. Now I'm finding out that truth with a capital T is actually this big generalization. <laughs> this big umbrella under which we can put so many things. And one of those things that Lao Tzu talks about often, um, and it's in fact it's a resonant theme within the Tao Te Ching, is humility. And he goes on to say that humility forms the basis of honor. Okay, well just as... It's basically that thing that makes us whole. Like we're already this physical thing that has all the corporeal senses. So it's very easy for us to just, you know, concentrate on that aspect of ourselves. But there's another aspect, which is that which we cannot see, that which cannot be named. Does that sound familiar? The aspect of truth as it is reflected in our active pursuit of humility because humility is actually what brings us back. Um, it kind of balances everything out because what it does is it opens and maintains that connection with the Tao. <laughs> okay. So at least that was my interpretation of, of, you know, how humility kind of plays into all of this. So let's wrap that up. And we saw that verse 39 has three parts to it. Part one talks about things that are whole. Part two talks about things that are not whole. And part three talks about the thing that makes us whole, humility. So let's put that back together. I'll read verse 39 again. Since antiquity, the following may be said to have attained truth. Heaven, which by truth is clear. Earth, which by truth is secure. The gods, which by truth are divine. The valleys, which by truth are full. 
all animate creation which by truth is alive. The rulers, which by truth are capable of rectifying the empire. Conversely, the following inferences may be stated. Without that which renders it clear, heaven stands the danger of disruption. Without that which renders it secure, earth stands the danger of depression. Without that which renders them divine, the gods stand the danger of impotence. Without that that renders them full, the valleys stand the danger of desiccation. Without that which renders them life, all animate creation stands the danger of annihilation. Without that which renders them capable of rectification, the rulers stand the danger of being overthrown. Humility forms the basis of honor, just as the low ground forms the foundation of a high elevation. Wherefore, the sovereigns are content to call themselves the virtueless and the unworthy. Does this not show that they regard humility as a matter of utmost importance? Hence, the most praiseworthy are indifferent about praise. It matters not to them whether they are admired as beautiful jades or despised as our rugged stones. Let's take a look at some of the things that this verse made me think about today when considering making peace with ego. Normally, I'd like to take each part of the verse and dedicate a discussion to it. This time, I'd like to talk about the whole verse, but from two different perspectives. It's got some of the same lessons we've learned before, that the Tao provides, it's all one, that humility is the key to tapping into its awesome power. And since this is familiar territory, I thought we might play around with some of the concepts today that circle back and tie into how we can make peace with ego. So the first thing that I'd like to talk about is looking at the Tao like a magnet. And the second thing I'd like to talk about is making peace with our sense of self. Looking at the Tao like a magnet. We've explored duality and the one a lot in this podcast, and this verse gives us another opportunity. Until now, we've appreciated that there are things that are seeming opposites, but have stated that they are really parts of the whole or the one. We had a look at how this can be so if we consider the infinite, basically stating that when we put everything together in infinity, there can be no opposites since everything is part of something that goes on forever. Now, I'd like us to consider this idea of the one from a magnet's point of view. So imagine a bar magnet. You know, the ones you can see on the Khan Academy or YouTube where somebody is explaining magnets and how they work. One end of the bar is usually painted white and the other end is usually painted red. And we say that the magnet has two poles, north and south. We also say that north attracts south and south attracts north. We do a simple experiment where we try to push two norths or souths together and find out there's resistance from the magnet and it simply won't work. So then we try the other way, putting a north end together with a south end and we find that the two ends stick together. I'd like us to imagine the Tao as a magnet. And despite the fact that there are two poles on the magnet, there is ever only one magnet. The north and the south poles make up the same one magnet. 
And what happens when we cut the magnet into two pieces? Well, those two pieces become little complete magnets, each with their own north and south poles. Cut those in half, and you have four little magnets. Cut them into however many pieces you'd like. All of those little pieces will always have two poles on them, no matter how small they are. And we can observe that north attracts south, and they can all fit back together again to make a big magnet at any time. So seeming opposites attract, no matter the scale at which we find them. Every magnet always has two poles. One condition always depends on the other to be whole. So just like earth, heaven, spirituality, the valley, and life need the one in order to support humanity, so do the nobles, the sovereigns, to use Lao Tzu's words. They depend on others to ennoble them. So let's consider our leaders. Don't they need us to be the leaders? Don't they depend on us for their purposes as leaders? I would argue in every case, yes. And so let's also roll teachers into that. Don't teachers need, like really need the students in order to teach? One step further now. We've established that we always find ourselves in the roles of leaders and teachers in our lives, at home, work, or with friends. We might say then that we depend on each other for our respective roles. We can see the North Pole as the leader and the South Pole as the follower, the North Pole as the teacher, and the South Pole as the student. No matter how you look at it, we all need each other in our respective roles to be whole at any given time. Moving forward, I'd like us to try and consider this as we go through our day. That spouse, an integral part of me that instead of pushing away sometimes, I should honor. The boss with whom I disagree or think is a poor leader, I need the boss so I may be useful. The employees that don't seem to want to do what I ask them to do, I need them to be useful as a leader and to grow as one, always trying to find new creative ways to engage with them. And those friends who cause drama sometimes? I need them, so I know how to grow as a social animal in a relatively safe setting. For me, this verse is a great way to appreciate all the different learning opportunities I am afforded with each of my relationships. But there is one relationship that we didn't touch on, however, that I'd like to explore next. In fact, I experienced a profound sense of truth when I considered that this verse might really be about the relationship that I have with myself. Making peace with our sense of self. At first glance, this verse talks about such grand things as heaven, earth, the gods, the valleys, creation, and the rulers. As such, there are certainly some prolific images here, and it seems that Lao Tzu is talking about the grand way of things. There is another, more subtle pattern we can observe, however, at least according to my interpretation. Remember how we discussed fractals, things being infinitely recurring patterns of themselves? 
Now if we can hold this in mind for the next few minutes, we can see this verse in a totally different light. Here's what I mean. Imagine the heavens as your divine nature. Imagine the earth as your groundedness or your stillness. Imagine the gods as being your ability to connect with the Tao. Imagine the valleys as being your ability to consciously create. Imagine all of creation being you and your life force. And finally, imagine the rulers as your consciousness, the thing that allows you to rule your life. Let's paraphrase the verse now with this in mind. Since antiquity, the following may be said to have attained truth. Your divine nature, which by truth is clear. Your groundedness, which by truth is secure. Your connection with the Tao, which by truth is divine. Your ability to consciously create, which by truth is full. Your life force, which by truth is alive. And your consciousness, which by truth is capable of rectifying the empire or yourself. Conversely, the following inferences may be stated. Without the Tao, your divine nature stands the danger of disruption. Without the Tao, your groundedness stands the danger of depression. Without the Tao, your connection with it stands the danger of impotence. Without the Tao, your ability to consciously create stands the danger of desiccation. Without the Tao, your life force and all crea animate creation within you stands the danger of annihilation. And without the Tao, your consciousness, you stand the danger of being overthrown by ego. So I don't know about you, but when I read this differently, I had one of those mind blown moments. It's so telling. And then when I read the last part of this verse again, with this perspective in mind, it all kind of came together. So here's the next line. Humility forms the basis of honor, just as the low ground forms the foundation of a high elevation. Do you remember we talked about magnets and their inseparable poles in the previous section? This says to me that ego and humility go together. Actually, maybe it's more like pride and humility, while seeming opposites are just different ways to characterize ego. Perhaps ego isn't the bad guy here. Ego was one of the things that I struggled to get my head around at first. I assumed it was the source of all my suffering, until I realized that my ego is just a neutral force like the Tao or like gravity. Or like a magnet. It's where I direct my attention that empowers the ego to go in a certain way. So if I'm obsessively worried about my emotional well-being, my financial well-being, and my social standing with others, I concentrate on the lack of those things. And therefore, experience more lack of them using the ego. If I'm open to receiving and trust the Tao to provide, I concentrate on the availability of those things, and then I bring abundance to me using the ego. And the more I practice, the better I get in either case. If I practice negativity, that's what I'll get good at. If I practice trust in the Tao, 
That's what I'll get good at. In this way, I may see my self-awareness as a fractal expression of the Tao. Perhaps my ego is the one, or the magnet, with its seemingly opposite poles of pride and humility. Perhaps I can realize that as I participate in life, whatever the adventure seems to be in the moment, it's important for me to honor and respect the single nature of myself, not only the good or not only the bad. I need them both, for they define each other. And keeping them balanced, well, there's no need to keep any of it balanced, since things are naturally arranged that way. I'm the one who throws things out of balance when I decide that a situation or a feeling needs to be a certain way, don't I? <laughs> I keep things in balance. I keep my ego in check by actually doing nothing. That's a good point to stop. So to wrap up my experience with this verse today and considering making peace with ego, I thought about two things. Number one is... I decided that I would look at the Tao like a magnet. And the second thing I thought about was that I could make peace with my sense of self. For the final piece of this episode, let's consider how we can apply the principle of making peace with ego in this verse today. As I examined my life, I saw that my selfishness had created suffering in me and in those around me. It likely created suffering in those who interacted with the ones I had hurt as well. Realizing this, I began to equate my ego with selfishness. Certainly, when we talk about ego today, it seems to have a negative connotation. So, after having found that my ego was the cause of most of the BS in my life, I set out to dismantle it. I read spiritual texts. I took up new practices. I also read some clandestine books on ego and what it really is, according to the authors. I was making progress. Little by little, I started being less selfish and my unwanted habits started to slip away. But I always found things popping up, and no matter how hard I tried, ego just wouldn't go away completely. After many discussions with those around me and a personal epiphany, I realized that my ego, or my sense of self, wasn't the problem. The problem was where I was directing my attention. It occurred to me that, yes, I could blame my ego for creating hurtful situations in my life. It also occurred to me that I've created beautiful things. Things that I couldn't have made had a sense of self not been present. Now think about it. Can you paint something beautiful or create something beautiful without a sense of self? Can you build a thing without a sense of self? I don't think so. In fact, I might even argue that it is the sense of self that pushes us to create things. So if ego is really just a sense of self, isn't my suffering created by looking in the direction that is in disharmony with the Tao? And isn't my contentment something that I generate by looking in the direction of harmony with the Tao? If this sounds comfortable for you, I'd like to invite you to a little awareness exercise today. The idea is to become aware of times when we used our egos for selfish pursuits and times when we used it for unselfish pursuits. So let's look back on yesterday. What day of the week was it? What was the day's main activity? 
Can you remember what you ate for dinner? What about breakfast or lunch? Was there anything significant that happened? Was there anything that was insignificant? We're just recalling our experience yesterday. So let's look for a time yesterday when we felt joy or happiness. I had a few of those moments. I had a tender moment with my wife. I got to explore a new topic with colleagues and I got a green light for some work I'd been wanting to do. Let's pause for a moment. What about you? Okay, let's now recall something that happened yesterday because we were thinking of ourselves only. We need not to have hurt anyone or anything. We're just looking for some self-centered thoughts or actions. For me, I procrastinated on a couple of emails because I was afraid of dealing with some financial matters. I drank more coffee than I think I should have in the afternoon. And I gave less attention to my friends because I was busy thinking about the new project I got the green light for. How about you? Okay, so we've called these things into our memory. Let's think about the joyous parts of the day. I can look back and see where I used that sense of self to serve others. I chose to be present with my wife. I shared knowledge with others. I got the opportunity to serve. So, yesterday, what about you? Did you employ your sense of self in a way that contributed to positivity? On the other side, I can see how I used my sense of self to procrastinate. As a result, I might have felt a little insecure about that, so to make me feel better, I drank more coffee. And I wasn't present for my friends because I was thinking about more exciting things or things that seemed more exciting to me. And how about you? Did you employ your sense of self in a way that contributed to selfishness? I guess the whole point of this exercise is to bring it back around to what this verse really means to me today. Lao Tzu talks about needing the one in order to put everything in order. And we thought about this in terms of a magnet, one piece that no matter how many times you cut it up, always has a North Pole and a South Pole. The oneness of a magnet is just there, always on, always one. The end of the verse shifts attention back to the concept of humility and its practice as being an integral part to harmony with the Tao. So we had a look at our egos or our sense of selves for a moment 
and explored how there is a prideful, fearful side of our ego and how there is a loving, creating side of it. It is all within us. This is what part of oneness looks like for us, doesn't it? Thanks for listening to me today. I wish you love, compassion, and humility. close out this episode, I'll leave you with a final reading of verse 39 of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Cheng Lin. Since antiquity, the following may be said to have attained truth. Heaven, which by truth is clear. Earth, which by truth is secure. The gods, which by truth are divine. The valleys, which by truth are full. All animate creation, which by truth is alive. The rulers, which by truth are capable of rectifying the empire. Conversely, the following inferences may be stated. Without that which renders it clear, heaven stands the danger of disruption. Without that which renders it secure, earth stands the danger of depression. Without that which renders them divine, the gods stand the danger of impotence. Without that which renders them full, the valleys stand the danger of desiccation. Without that which renders them life, all animate creation stand the danger of annihilation. Without that which renders them capable of rectification, the rulers stand the danger of being overthrown. Humility forms the basis of honor, just as the low ground forms the foundation of a high elevation. Wherefore, the sovereigns are content to call themselves the virtuous and the unworthy. Does this not show that they regard humility as a matter of utmost importance? Hence, the most praiseworthy are indifferent about praise. It matters not to them whether they are admired as our beautiful jades or despised as our rugged stones. Thanks for listening to an episode of the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living with your host, Dan Casas-Murray. This podcast is for the Tao curious, those looking for a random bit of wisdom once in a while, or for those who want to dive into this wonderful teaching. In each episode, we do four things. One, we read a verse of the Tao Te Ching, Two, we break it down into everyday language. Three, we discuss my own thoughts and experience with the Tao. And four, we look at a couple of the many ways you can put the Tao into practice for yourself. That's pretty much how I've been practicing the Tao every day. By listening to Lao Tzu, reflecting on his words of wisdom, listening to other comments, and trying to practice them in everyday life. I'm pretty sure that as I learn about and experience more of the Tao, all my thoughts and lessons will change. I wish the same for you as you grow along your journey. If you found something meaningful in this podcast and would like to discuss it with others, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to the subreddit Taoism. That's reddit.com slash r slash Taoism. Also, I'd invite you to share this podcast with friends if you think it would benefit them. As always, I wish you love, compassion, 
and peace. Thanks for listening.